And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. It's all over but the counting. That's right. It's E-Day, Election Day, coming up on the bridge. You know, August 15th doesn't seem that long ago. In some ways, it feels like it was just yesterday. But that was August 15th. That's when all this started. Today's September 20th, and it's E-Day, it's Election Day, it's Voting Day. It's time for you to make that final decision if you haven't already. We're going to talk about some of the people who've already made their decision and when their vote might actually get counted. That's a little later, but first up, the insiders. The insiders have been great throughout this campaign, giving us a sense of what it's like to be on the inside in an election campaign. You know who they are, Kathleen Monk, who's worked with the NDP, Tim Powers, who's worked with the Conservatives, and Sapria Devetti, who has worked with the Liberals. They're all with us again, ready for their take on E-Day. So let's get at it. All right, then, Sapria's in Toronto. Tim and Kathleen are in Ottawa. Listen, I want to start this off with a sense of you know, what this day or what the final couple of days are like. Because, you know, in the movie version of elections, you have, you know, you have somebody going up, one of the people like the kind of positions you, you guys have held. You go going up to the candidate and sort of whispering in their ear, you're going to lose, so you better be ready for it. So you better think about what you're going to say or how you're going to act in this last day of campaigning. Um, does that really happen? Is that something that happens, Kathleen? I don't think it happens as dramatically on the last day. It's the last three days, right? You're because you're going to have your lead speechwriter, and they're going to be crafting that election night speech for days, truthfully. Um, and they will have already crafted likely not just two iterations of that speech, but, but three. Um, so there'll always be the like clear win, the clear loss, and then the uncertain, uncertain scenario. And so, um, you know, you're starting to, to build towards different scenarios and what to tell the candidate for a number of days. That's based on polling. That's based on, you know, I, I, truthfully in this campaign in election 44, uh, in 2021, you know, what people looked at would happen last week when, um, Premier Jason Kenney came out and really made a dramatic shift in the campaign um, that did seem to stall a lot of uh, O'Toole's momentum. And there was a surge, uh, you know, late last week and, and through the weekend, which may have um, stalled out uh, Sunday for the Liberals. So you're, you're getting a sense of where the campaign is going and, and thinking about what the scenarios are. I think if I was giving direction to somebody uh, today, no matter what the campaign, I would definitely have that unclear scenario speech being written um, because from and polling I've seen, you know, there are about 65, 62, excuse me, seats that are really in that 5% range. And that's what makes this interesting, this election so interesting. And with all those mail-in ballots, which I'm sure we'll talk about and, and how the can't, count is going to proceed over the next few days, the advice you're giving right now internally is um, is one, you know, uh, of, of caution. Yeah. And the only thing I think I would add to that, Peter, is that in terms of what is a clear win or what's a clear loss, that's also a little bit fuzzy mm-hmm. this time around too, right? Because I mean, arguably, 
if whomever forms government, you know, I mean, if, if they're doing so with an increase in, in seat counts, that that's arguably a win. But if it's the liberals, you know, a lot of us going into this and I mean, I don't just mean liberals. I mean, like the chattering classes, politicos, people who watch this sort of thing. We're all sort of talking about a majority. Right. And so does anything less than a majority then qualify as a loss? I would say no, because if you've increased your seat count and if you have a stronger minority mandate, then that's arguably still a win. And for the conservatives, if you are still in opposition, but you've, you know, edged up your seat count, is that not also a win? So I think that the goalposts have kind of somewhat shifted a little bit too. You know, (laughs) think about Andrew Scheer last time around, he increases his votes, he increases his seats and he gets whacked. You know, it's one and done for Andrew Scheer. And if I can just jump jump in on that, because yeah. that's the problem, right? There are winning campaigns. Then there's the other kind, the losing kind. But that all that can't be confused with a good campaign versus a bad campaign. And a good campaign is when there's you know good feeling among uh, not only volunteers and voters and the leader and the leader's team and and. Sheer did not have that last time. You know, I would say he had a bit of a winning campaign. He didn't win ultimately, but he gained those 20 seats. He got the popular vote, you know, but he had a, a bad campaign. And whereas, you know, alternately, Jagmeet Singh, who going into the last election, 2019, you know, people thought he was going to be decimated. So him holding on to 24 seats, cutting his caucus in half was still seen as a good campaign. People liked him coming out of it. So it, it's, you know, very topsy turvy turvy about how people actually judge these campaigns, especially when looking back at them. Jim? But damn, could Andrew Shear sell insurance, Peter? Oh, wait, he couldn't. That was also a problem, too. I, and the interesting, your, your, point, your point about Shear that's interesting, too, and, and Kathleen's about campaigns. Within the Conservative Party, there's an ever, um, ever-present campaign that says you should always be defeating Justin Trudeau. You've already heard before the ballots are cast tonight, some framing that if Aaron O'Toole doesn't get a win, he's done because this was an election he could win. I don't ascribe to that uh, theory, um, but certainly there are those in the Conservative Party who will view that as a must-do. As to your original question, um, there's already framing floating around today from the Conservatives talking about what ought to be said through different scenarios of the campaign. So in modern times, with all of the polling, with so much, we've seen this race, you know, in, in detail play itself out through all of these polls over the last week. So these the people in all these campaigns aren't stupid. They have their own polls. They have these other polls. Candidates see what's happening, too. So they get prepared uh, for everything. So as Kathleen said, the dramatic movie moment of saying, guess what, buddy, you blew it, uh, doesn't really happen. And in the speeches, I, you know, I, I like the, uh, the sense from Kathleen because, you know, the, these speeches aren't whipped up in a, in a couple of moments. There um, are days, if not weeks, spent on what, what should be said on, on election night. But I assume there really are these, as much as they may think they know what's going to happen, you never really know. So you got to be ready. So there really are like, a, you know, a series of potential speeches there, Tim? Yeah, they, they, Kathleen is, is bang on on that. There, there are different scenarios. For example, this evening, I'd say there are three active scenarios that could play out that the Conservatives and the Liberals have to play for. The most obvious one, which seems to be the most likely one, is a Liberal minority. 
So both parties are preparing for that. The uh, The second greatest possibility probably is a liberal majority, which uh, the liberals are hoping will happen. And the third, which is what the conservatives hope will happen, is a conservative minority. So there are probably speeches in those two camps that deal with all three of those things. And probably in, in Mr. Singh's camp, for the two minority possibilities, he has uh, some language that he's working on as well. Yeah, and I'd expect there wouldn't be completely new speeches, right? There's just sections in the speech that are swapped out for others. You know, Supriya, you mentioned earlier what would, you know, what could look for like a win for the Liberals if it was a minority, but they increased the number of seats, didn't reach majority, which leaves open the assumption that you're suggesting if they don't make where they were last time round, but they still have a minority, that has to be looked at as a loss. Yeah. And I mean, arguably it would be losing anything is a loss, is it not? And so when we're talking about electoral politics and you've lost seats uh, in an election where you, you know, decidedly chose to go to the polls and you chose the moment and you chose the framing, um, that's a loss. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to cut it any other way because I don't think there's very much spinning to be done. And I mean, you know, you could couch it uh, along the lines of, oh, well, my opponents ran an excessively negative campaign, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're the one at the free throw line and you're missing your free throws, that's on you. What about the, um, the decision on the part of a leader on election night to throw in the towel and say, I'm out of here. Uh, I mean, we've seen a number of examples of that in the past few years. Uh, Not every time, that's for sure. But in some cases where a leader has lost the election um, and decides on that night, they're going to signal they're out of there. Uh, They they are going to step down from the leadership role. Now, is that something, a decision that's made from your experiences by the leader themselves he or she decides on their own, this is, I'm out of here. Um, Or is this where you have the huddle and people make the arguments as to what should be appropriate? Kathleen? Well, politics is a team sport. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, any leader would consult their family, obviously their closest advisors. That would be a discussion um, that would be had amongst a number of people. Very, I can't imagine a situation where advice and and, um, input from others um, wouldn't be taken. And it's often it's not that often that you see that dramatic uh, and I'm leaving. Um, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but I, I do remember that happening with Prentice. Was that not correct? Prentice made that kind of quick decision. Um, but, but it, it's not Jim Prentice that is from in Alberta, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it that often. Did Paul Martin, but sometimes it's Paul obvious Martin Peter though. No, sometimes it's obvious. I mean, in the case of Mr. Martin in 2006, you knew if he didn't win, he was going to go. He didn't have to have a big huddle around all of that. He'd had his run. He's had two elections. Stephen Harper, 2015 as well. You knew if he didn't win after 10 years in power, he was going to go, which makes tonight sort of interesting. Um, I think it will be obvious for Mr. Trudeau to announce he was going to go if he didn't win, if the Conservatives got a minority. If, as we suspect, he gets a minority and 
it's even a little lesser. I don't think he's going to say he's going to go tonight. Now he might say that in a year for a bunch of different reasons. Cause I have a long health theory that the prime minister, regardless if he wins, is not going to run in the next election. If Mr. O'Toole um, holds Mr. Trudeau as it will be framed to a minority tonight, I don't think Mr. O'Toole is going to say anything tonight about his leadership. I think he, will argue that he's got, you know, the three-step strategy is Tom Flanagan used to argue with Stephen Harper, hold them to a minority, win a minority, then win a majority. Um, I don't think we're going to hear anything from Mr. Singh. So the only obvious I'm going to step down tonight or in the next number of days probably would be Mr. Trudeau if he loses the election. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. And I mean, I don't necessarily envision a scenario where um, that happens, but I think it's it's also interesting to note that nobody ever wants to be Bruce Willis in the sixth sense, right? Where everyone else knows ever. you're dead except for you. And so, you know, the alternative is also a situation like in the last, in the last election, when Shear came out, he, he didn't step down and said he was going to hang on, but all of those huddles were apparently happening behind the scenes without him. That's a situation where you want to avoid at all costs as well. Right. And some were having those huddles on air that night. Um, you know, conservatives, right. <laughs> uh, suggesting such a such an outcome. Um, I tend to agree with uh, for for what it's worth, which is probably not worth it anything at all. But um, I tend to agree with Tim on the sense that I I don't think uh, Justin Trudeau, no matter what the outcome is tonight, is going to run again. But could be wrong, I, you know. Um, let me move to something that uh, Kathleen brought up earlier because we we haven't seen this situation before where mail in ballots a particular kind of mail-in ballot. And I'll go through them all later on in this in this program today. But I don't think we've seen a situation where things could drag over for, uh, you know, another day or two. I mean, 72 was a drag over to the next day decision, but that wasn't about mail-in ballots. That was just simply about counting in some very close ridings. Um, but this one actually could. Now, We've cautioned people before on things like this, and it doesn't usually play out. But uh, but it could today in close ridings, mail-in ballots could really could really make a difference. Kathleen, do you want to um, further explore that? You raised it. Yeah, I think that you know it, it's going to be interesting because we first of all we haven't had a federal pandemic election before, so this is the first time where we've seen this large a number of mail-in ballots mm -hmm. um and as we know they won't be start they won't be counted today they'll start tomorrow correct me if i'm wrong peter now, <laughs> a certain kind you know and i'll run through yeah, there, there are yeah. different kinds of mail-in ballots but yeah. a certain kind which could be a significant kind number uh you know it could be in the hundreds of thousands of ballots and uh, there are a lot of ridings in the country that aren't separated by a lot of votes yeah, and there's some writings that we already know that there's, you know, uh, thousands of mail-in ballots, and those writings are often very, very tight. We're looking at some of those races in BC, which are three-way races, and and they're often, you know, uh, definitely under, you know, 5,000, 3,000 mm -hmm. votes. So we're we're going to be waiting for those those ballots. So I think I think you know we should demonstrate as Canadians that we can calmly wait <laughs> and not, not experience. Um, um, some of the things uh, that our, our friends in 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 the in the U.S. have experienced, just patiently and politely wait for uh, the ballots to be counted. I'm going to ask you all, all three of you, in a moment, your favorite sort of 
election day story or anecdote that you watched close up. So think about that for a moment. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, there's this assumption on mail-in ballots, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why it exists, that the majority of those votes are liberal votes. That for some reason, uh, I mean, I heard Nick Nanos the other day saying four out of five are, you know, are are liberal votes in in mail-in ballots. Where's that assumption come from? Why does anybody have an answer to that? I, I, I don't know where it comes from. I, we've put out a, an abacus poll yesterday, and there's some looking at uh, a sense of people who voted already and asked them, those who mailed in, what they voted. And we certainly didn't score a four out of five. So I, I, I was, in fact, almost even a liberal conservative in terms of mail-in. So I don't know where, where Nick got that in particular, because tr- well, in modern tradition, I think conservatives have... <clears throat> or the governing party has tended to do, uh, to do better in advanced polls. And that would include some things like the mail-in ballot. I don't know if he's trying to extrapolate from the U S example where it was assumed Democrats would do much better in, in this. So I, I, I don't know specifically where Nick got that information. You know, what's interesting about the U S comparison is that led in, in the U S in the voting at the early stages of the uh, Republicans being ahead in a lot of key areas uh, with the knowledge that the mail-in vote was still to come in. And as you say, it was expected to be heavily Democratic, but it also started off the chant of stop the voting (laughs) or stop the vote count uh, by uh, by the Republicans. So it would be interesting to see, not suggesting anybody's going to say stop the counting, but um, it'd be interesting to see if that same thing plays out because it could lead a lot of commentators during the early part of the evening in, you know, heading down a road that might be a dangerous road to go with certain assumptions. Um, Sapria, any any word on the on the mail-in vote? Yeah, I mean, I'm also curious as to how Nick was able to decipher or determine um, with the degree of specificity that he did that the majority of those ballots would, in fact, be liberal. I think it'll be interesting to see if he ends up being right. But in terms of Kathleen's point of this being our first you know, federal pandemic election, I would imagine that it would split more evenly along age demographics mm-hmm. than it would necessarily amongst partisan demographics. So it, I'll be very curious to see how that how that ends up playing out. OK. And frankly, any good organizer from any party would prefer yeah. their voters, their committed voters do the advance polls yeah. um, than mail in because that is counted on E-Day, that will be counted when all the other ballots are counted. So I guess the one thing I would, um, to draw back to your point, Peter, about uh, the concern of pundits picking up a narrative early in the night mm-hmm. that may in fact not be true because of you know either parts of the riding that are still gonna come in or mail-in ballots that are still gonna come in. I mean, that's where really um, those of us like Sapria, like Tim and myself who have done these election night shows, it's so important to get a real good brief and have those folks on the ground that know parts of the riding so you can actually push back you Mm -hmm. know when parts of the riding are being called on certain polls because we've all seen that on election night you know a a leading victory you know with three of 59 polls being counted right and (laughs) and if you know what polls those are you can say to the producers or to the on-air personalities wait a minute we're still waiting for that part of the riding to come in that part of the riding leans towards this party or that party so you have to know that detail that granular detail riding by riding 
I, you know, I'll never forget uh, the referendum in 95, um, the, the Quebec referendum. And uh, there was a point in the evening, uh, an hour or so after the, the votes had started to be counted, where the, uh, the Parti Québécois vote was higher than the Federalist vote. Um, not by lot, but nevertheless, it was higher. And uh, there, there was a, a certain anxiety being expressed by the Federalist forces about those numbers. And I kept saying, and Jason Moskowitz kept saying, who was sitting beside me, ah, but, you know, the West Island votes are not in yet. And when they come in, everything's going to change. <laughs> and sure enough, that was the case. And it, and it did change dramatically. Uh, to the point where the uh, Federalist forces won, not by a lot, but uh, they caught up and passed the um, uh, the anti-Federalist forces on the on that in, side. in Quebec circles. West Island is still used as a slur against Anglo Montrealers. Yeah. <laughs> story checks out. Wait till that West Island vote comes in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, a lot of slurring that night, as I recall, by a former premier. But anyway, yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. Your favorite election day story or final election weekend story or something um, of an anecdotal nature that we can uh, that we can have some fun with. Who wants to take a run at this one first? I, I'll go first, it, it, if you don't mind, because it's, it's top of mind today. It happens to be the eighth anniversary of my father's death, and it involves my father and the uh, and the son of the late Senator Eric Cook. And our family's always been, how should I say, politically entrepreneurial. And my father and Senator Cook's son were doing some work for Jack Pickerskill, a name which will be familiar to, to, to everybody. And, of course, Pickerskill was handpicked by Smallwood to be a federal liberal candidate in Newfoundland, in rural Newfoundland, on an election day, as lore has it, my father and Senator Cook would drive around with a car stocked with rum in the back seat. <laughs> and if you voted for Jack, you either got a bottle or a swally, depending how uh, effective you were at bringing others to the poll. I know that's a terrible thing to share in this day and age, and who would know that alcohol influenced Canadian politics? But so was the case many, many years ago, and I would dare venture to say Peter, there's probably some other people today invoking similar say maybe they're driving around with cannabis. I don't know, or, or some other substance, but yeah, that's a classic election day story from Newfoundland booze in the boot. Get a go out and vote. Swally. A swally is a, a swally. swally. A swally. A swally. It's about two ounces of rum. You have that. You'll do what you're told and God knows what else. I was, uh, I was in the Navy in 66 and 67, and they still gave you out your daily, like, like a ration of yeah. rum way back in those days. But it, it wasn't two ounces, I can tell you that. Um, okay, uh, Kathleen, can you match that one? It's hard, you know. I'm, I I normally am full of lots of anecdotes, but but I have to admit, on most elections day, I'm election days, I'm working my butt off, so it's always this blur of of, of uh, exhaustion, and so I'm trying to remember something. I think the most significant for me, I guess, going back to 2011, working with Jack Layton, I remember, um, you know, I was really buckled down uh, the night before E Day um, in my hotel room in Toronto, trying to as we just earlier discussed, you know, figure out speeches and all that kind of stuff and election day activities and ensuring we had coverage for the media and all that stuff. And then I remember talking to all of the network news producers, which is really common what pundits do to walk them through west to east, all of the all of the riding. So we say, where are we going to pick up? Where are we going to lose? Why are we going to pick up these particular seats? 
Why are we going to lose them? And we walked them through each of the 338 ridings. At, at the time, it was less than that, of course, but but uh, what we would do today. But then the news broke in 2011 that Osama bin Laden was killed. Right. And I was sitting there going, you know, you often get thrown curveballs on campaigns. And we were thrown quite a few in that 2011 election. But but that one was something that was really hard for me to predict where it was going to go. And that shift was like, I don't know, like because we were on a bit of a cresting momentum. And I, I my stomach just sank. I remember that night going, how does this impact the campaign? I couldn't figure out how to calibrate what the impact would be. And in fact, it wasn't that much. I think if it had happened a few days earlier, perhaps it would have the media narrowed would have saturated more but and i don't know what it would have done to the campaign but it was i just remember it was big breaking news and i was like i don't know i don't know how to handle this this yeah. one piece you know i love Shot it. rum would have fixed it all kathleen <laughs> yeah, i should have had a drink but i was i couldn't i couldn't risk the hangover tim i couldn't risk the <laughs> i i love the other part of what you said which is the the conversations with the you know, like senior network producers mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what you're expecting because people like yourself and you know in the strategic strategic role that you played uh in campaigns through the campaign there's a lot of spin in what you what you talk to uh, even your most trusted um uh, news people but on by the night before that's all gone because yeah. uh, you know you're trying to help them they're trying to be prepared to accurately reflect what's going on the next day and all the parties do it and they, and they and they're all you know really um, you know honest about their assessment of where things uh, lay then in terms of the lay of the land um last uh, quick point with you Kathleen before we move to Sapria on that 2011 thing did you guys have any idea that you were going to do as well as you did, right? What was the final total? It was around 100, right? Just either yeah, just 101. 101. And no, I think I gave the CBC and CTV network producers some, a number that was closer to 60. I'm like, you know, 60. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, Which would have been so a hell of a really lot. To be honest right? with you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were new. We, we And it was that Quebec that, un, like, in terms of I could name 12 Writings that I was sure of in Quebec, not 59, which is what I think we ended up eking out that in that in the province. So it was it was just a you know, it was a wave, which we know happened in Quebec. But you are right, Peter, that, you know, um, all of us as pundits um, and quote unquote insiders, you know, we speak to producers you know, every day and, and, and reporters and, and journalists, and we, and we do try to spin them and, and make our case, but, but on that night before election, it is really, you know, straight mm -hmm. talk. And it's also a different level of producer, right? You're so you can be more frank. Sometimes there's always, each network would have their election network producers, a, a, a cabal of, of folks that work election after election. And, and you really, they know the ridings, each corner of the ridings really in a detailed way too. So you really have that straight talk at that point. And, um, and yeah, I, I won't lie. We, 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 uh, we, I couldn't have, I couldn't have named all the writings we won in Quebec that night. <laughs> that's, a, that's funny. That really is funny. Uh, Sapria. This is going to be a bit of a downer, um, <laughs> but in terms of like an election memory, I mean, the, the 2012 Quebec election, I remember quite mm. well 
because there was a shooting, um, un- un- unfortunately, wherein, you know, um, mm-hmm. one man died and I, it was very stressful. I was studying at the time for, I was in law school and I had a bunch of friends that were on the Parti Québécois campaign. I was away for a wedding um, and I was desperately just trying to get a hold of people. Um, and my, for an entire, you know, 90 minutes until I had heard that friends of mine who I knew were going to be at uh, HQ, you know, Québécois HQ that night celebrating the, the victory, it was it, it was it was tough, and I mean, at the time, I was also contrib- a contributor regularly to CJD, which is the you know one Anglo kind of talk radio station in Montreal. And I know a bunch of us were like, "Well, bleep! Uh, did any did any of what we sa- said during this campaign trail did that contribute to this you know arguably unstable person taking matters into their own hands?" And I mean, that's where I mm-hmm. think. For myself, it was a, a real like introspection, reflection moment of like, oh, what I say actually matters. And on the air, and it was like a sense of maybe we need to start tamping mm-hmm. down some of the some of the rhetoric, particularly on the you know Anglo-Franco side as it comes to linguistic politics. And you know, at the time, there was also the Charter of Values that was being um, debated, and it was a very intense moment mm-hmm. in, in Quebec politics. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. And sorry, I, I realize that's kind of a, not the the best memory, but I mean, that's what's one that certainly sticks out in my no, mind. That was a chilling night. It was a really chilling yeah. night. Yeah. 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 And, you know, no matter what happens tonight, there are going to be, um, nothing like that, God forbid, but there are going to be uh, moments and, and uh, areas to comment on that we can't even forecast at this point. We have no idea, but they may well deal with the kind of, you know, um, issues that fall into that category of uh, the kind of country we're living in because nothing exposes the feelings of the country towards itself more than what happens on, on a national election night. And there will be surprises, you know, in terms of, uh, of how things unfold during the evening, how certain parties do or don't do, uh, and they will lead towards that kind of uh, commentary. And it's always best when when stuff comes out of the blue that you 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 weren't prepared for. You didn't think it was going to be that way. It, it just you know it, it encourages people to really you know speak their mind and be thoughtful about the uh, direction in which the country's going. So, last quick point to each of you: How uh, what's your advice on how to watch this tonight? And I, I don't mean from a you know who to cheer for sense, but in terms of how to watch an election night, what's the best way to do that? Do you think? Drunk. <laughs> and I've got some rum for you, Supriya, on its way. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's certainly one option. Anybody got another one? <laughs> I would say don't watch it. Um, I mean, I, I assume you're not asking like how to watch it in terms of TV, paper, radio, what? Um, I uh, although I, I do have opinions there, but um, I would say well, don't you know, watch Don't it. be shy about that. I mean, if, if you feel strongly that, I mean, the, the, the normal way for a lot of people is just turn their television on, watch those numbers at the bottom of the screen. Um, 
I don't know. Well, I can tell you the worst place to watch it is if you're on a television set, as I've done for the last number of years, because, you know, even though you're on the set and you're commenting on politics, it's really hard to get all the information you want to get at all times. So, I mean, you are texting constantly on your BlackBerry or phone or whatever, trying to get all that information in, but it's a throwback to the past BlackBerry there. Um, But, uh, but it's, uh, but you know, it's really, it's hard to, so I would say, you know, I always have TVs and Twitter and newspapers and honestly, truthfully, radio is always faster than TV. So I would always listen to radio. Radio is, is, uh, uh, the best. And actually I learned that trick from my friend, Craig Oliver at CTV. <laughs> he used to listen to CBC radio and then be able to report because <laughs> they were faster even sometimes than Canadian press wire service. It's amazing. But, um, I, but honestly, uh, some real advice for folks don't, don't, uh, don't follow the narrative that is East West because often the East, because those results are out yeah. so early, in the night and the networks have to basically tap dance for you know an hour and a half i think it is uh, before that flood of uh of numbers come in from uh ontario and quebec and and so uh don't just you know there's often a narrative that's set in that eastern um uh block of, of votes that come in but if i were giving advice to people tonight watch alberta is this the end of fortress alberta for the conservatives do we see significant pickups from the liberals and the Democrats in that province? That's going to be interesting to me. Obviously, um, you know, watch for what the PPC is doing. I think that's, uh, you know, going to be fascinating. I don't think they're going to take a seat. I hope that this is just a park vote and people actually don't vote on mass for, for Maxine Bernier. Um, and then I watch for the greens, where they go. Do they actually get to hold two seats? Do they really just hold one? Is it back to the, the cult of Elizabeth May? Okay. Spria? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all that. Um, I, I would also say that in terms of some of the other close ridings that we are expecting, that is really where I'm going to be watching the PPC vote. I, I've mentioned this earlier or I guess now last week, um, but there are quite a few PPC signs in my riding of Oakville. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to me because this is obviously, you know, a weller, a, a, like a upper middle class neighborhood. And there's still very much that anger vote out there or that protest vote that's out there. And I think we have to understand that whatever fallout may come on election night, there is indeed a gradation of PPC supporters. We shouldn't write them all off as these anti-vax protesters that are accosting healthcare workers and patients outside of hospitals. There is something very real and an undercurrent of anger that needs to be addressed. And to be honest, I'm not sure how we go about that, but I know that in ignoring it, it's only going to make the problem worse, right? It's kind of like letting an infection, like letting a wound go off and and be infected. You need to cauterize the wound a lot quicker. um, I I think particularly as we've seen in other jurisdictions, not just the U S but I would say India as well, Brazil as well. When some of these, you know, authoritarian types or these undercurrents of, of, of anger, when they're out there in the population, you allow them to fester and really bad things end up happening. All right. Quick last word to you, Tim. Yeah, I, I'm taking Supriya's realm. Let me add some apparatives to it. I, I think you watch it like a buffet table, um, get some regional results, uh, listen to some regional courage, uh, coverage, uh, pay attention in Ontario, that 905, that's still important. And then as you say, have a nap and then watch BC, because that's the way this is all probably uh, going to go here. Uh, it's just really going to be fascinating to take all of this in tonight, because we could have our 
uh, what would it be, fifth minority already of this 21st century as opposed to three majorities. And we're going to have a hell of a lot more politics after that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, quite a century that it's turned out to be uh, so far on minority situations. You're right, five out of seven if tonight ends up uh, as a minority as well. Listen, it has been uh, fascinating. Tonight will be fascinating, and you guys have been fascinating throughout this campaign. Uh, I and the audience really appreciate your time, and I'm sure uh, at some point, probably not in the too distant future, we'll get together again to uh, uh, to talk about how all this uh, uh, is shaping up on the political landscape of the country. So thank you all. Thank you. All right, then, the insiders back in a moment with today's fun fact on mail in ballots. This is The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge. All right, you're listening to uh, The Bridge with today's election day segment with the insiders time though before we leave to remind you you're listening on Sirius XM channel 167 Canada Talks or wherever your favorite podcast has been downloaded here's the story on mail-in ballots we talked about it a number of times with the insiders and I want to make sure that you um, that you get the full facts on this this is how votes are counted and it's no different from other years except for the Um, extraordinary number of mail-in ballots that are expected. Remember, every vote in a federal election is counted by hand, okay? There are no machines, no machines involved in Canada. On election night, all the votes cast that day, this day, today, will be counted, and all advance polls will be counted. They will also count the special ballots mailed in from Canadians voting outside their riding. That's Canadians overseas in most cases, but also someone like a student in school in, say, Vancouver, but who lives in St. John's and votes there. These are easy to count because they all come directly to Ottawa. As of last Friday night, midnight last Friday, there were about 105,000 of those kind of ballots received, a relatively small number. What won't be counted at all tonight are special ballots from people voting from their own ridings. And as of Friday midnight, there were 706,627 of those received already. That was a huge number. So there won't be final tallies from any riding. Sorry, I had to cough there. Um... The networks may find it very difficult to project winners in many ridings. For example, in the riding of Victoria, there were 12,000, more than 12,000 special ballots sent out. The NDP won that riding in 2019 by just 2,400 votes over the Green candidate. In Yukon, there are 1,760 votes so far, as of midnight Friday, that won't be counted today in a riding decided by just 72 votes in 2019. So riding in Quebec, 838 mail-ins so far, where the margin of victory last time was 215. And obviously, if the election is close in the seat count, we won't know who will form the government if a lot of seats are too close to call and a lot of mail-ins aren't yet counted. It's certainly possible that the results we see on tonight 
will be changed by the mail-ins. We just don't know if the mail-ins will break in the same proportion as regular votes or if one party has more mail-in voters than another. We talked about that a little bit on the Insiders. It takes a while to count the mail-ins because First Elections Canada has to make sure no one voted in person, also voted by mail. And then they have to guarantee the secrecy of the vote by separating an outer envelope with the voter's name from an inner envelope with no identification. Elections Canada says it will take about three hours to count 500 ballots in a riding. And so we should not expect any of these mail-in results until Tuesday afternoon at the earliest. That's Eastern time. And in ridings with thousands of these ballots, it could take a few days. So, (laughs) buckle up your seatbelt. If this is going to be close... This could take a while. One final reminder. Um, I've mentioned this a few times over the last couple of weeks, but this is the last week for this. As you know, uh, two weeks from now, as you know, as you may know, two weeks from now, my new book, Off the Record, is coming out. It's a collection of stories, of anecdotes of my career but they're put in such a way that they draw certain conclusions about the country, about journalism, and just kind of a sense of kind of where I'm coming from, what my past was, how where and how I grew up. Now, a lot of you asked me to write a book like this over the last few years, so that's what I've done. It comes out October 5th. Simon & Schuster are publishing it. And right now on my website, thepetermansbridge.com, unfortunately you have to use that the, somebody had already taken petermansbridge.com, so I got thepetermansbridge.com. On my website, there's a little bit of a contest. If you pre-order now, you can get a special copy of the book on the pre-order, or you'll at least be put in a draw for a special copy of the book, all right? There will be um, 50 of those special copies made available for the draw. So you can pre-order at thepetermansbridge.com, or at least it gives you the link to pre-order with Simon & Schuster or Indigo. So don't don't be shy about that. All right. Tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. A lot depends on what the outcome is. I'm thinking of doing a special, a special, mini version of Good Talk with Chantel and Bruce to try and decipher what we know about the results. That'd be tomorrow. Wednesday will be Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth. Thursday's your turn. So watch tonight. Give me your thoughts. Write your letters. I will use excerpts. Somebody wrote to me the other day and said, you always say excerpts. You don't get the P in there. Excerpts. There you go. Um, that's it for this day. I'm Peter Mansbridge. This has been The Bridge with the Insiders today on E-Day. Get out there and vote if you haven't already. Thanks for listening so much, and we'll talk to you again in 24 hours. <laughs>